morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, continuing our series on the gospel of Mark. And today a message I call, Be Not Afraid, Only Believe. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Now, in our text this morning, Jesus has once again crossed the Sea of Galilee. He had gone over, we saw him last week, to that region of the Gadarenes, which was a Gentile area. Now he's crossed back, and he has landed in a place Matthew called his his own city, and that is Capernaum. We understand that Jesus started out his life as a citizen of Nazareth, and yet uh, there came that time when they tried to kill him in Nazareth. After he began his ministry and was teaching there, they took up stones to kill him. And as a result of that, Jesus moved to Capernaum. And uh, that's where he would spend the rest of his time, for the most of his time, uh, in his earthly ministry. His own city, the region of Capernaum. When he had crossed over the sea, he was met in the country of the Gadarenes by a veritable army of demons. Over 2,000 of them, uh, we know, that were cast into the herd of swine. When he comes back then to Capernaum, he's met by a waiting, eager crowd that stops him, as they so often did, uh, just as soon as he got off the boat. So he wasn't able even to move away from the shore. Such a crowd eagerly waiting for him to come. In this crowd, two people would stand out. Both of them stand as examples of people who showed faith in desperate situations so that their fear was overcome by their faith in this one incredible moment. The story of these two people had begun 12 years before. Jesus would have been about 20 years old. We have no reason to think he was doing anything except running the family business in Nazareth. That was a carpenter. That is, he made furniture, worked with wood. And uh, so at the age of 20, he lived in Nazareth. Now he's in Capernaum. 12 years before, you see, in this city of Capernaum, Uh, One family enjoyed a wonderful event as a little baby girl was born into their world. What a blessing that was. What a wonderful and exciting time it was. But Twelve years before, something else happened, and this was a tragic situation. A woman started bleeding. She didn't stop after a few days, a few weeks, a few months. Twelve years later, she's still losing blood. One of these families then had enjoyed all of the wonderful times that raising a little girl up to the age of 12 would have brought, as well as all the aggravation that that brings. And there is its share of aggravation, but my, what a blessing those children are in our lives. And this particular child, this was an... It was an only child. It was the only child that they had. On the other side of the story, the household had experienced a a tragedy and a division because 
of this woman's condition. The requirements of the law of Moses made her ceremonially unclean. She could not worship. She could not go to the temple, even to the court of the women. Anyone she touched would be unclean, not because her problem was communicable like leprosy was, uh, but because of the requirements of the law that made her unclean. And if you want to read those requirements in the book of Leviticus, they're found in chapter 15. Don't do it now. Uh, wait till the message is over and you can go and investigate further and you'll see that all these things are spelled out uh, very specifically. Some have considered this ceremonial, ceremonial uncleanness to be an act of judgment. And it may very well have been. I can't say conclusively that it wasn't. Or at least it didn't have something to bear with judgment. But one writer pointed out that it actually created a time where a woman could not clean because everything she cleaned was in fact made unclean ceremonially. She couldn't cook. Same reason. Everything that she cooked would have been unclean. She could not touch anybody and nobody could touch her. She couldn't go to work if she worked. Generally speaking, she couldn't be around people much. In short, during that entire time of a woman's life, very common to all women, she was able to rest and be left alone. It doesn't really sound like an act of judgment. It's almost an act of mercy. But regardless, both of these cases had moved beyond the normal type of things. Jairus' daughter was sick. We don't know how long she was sick. We don't know what she was sick with. She was sick. And she was at the point of death. Uh, this woman had an issue of blood. Twice it is referred to in the passage as an affliction, uh, which meant that this wasn't uh, the normal way that things worked. Both of them then had an illness. And it's a good time for us to remember this morning that if it weren't for the presence of sin in this world, there would be no sickness, there would be no suffering, there would be no sorrow, there would be no death. All of that comes upon us because of the curse of sin. James would put it very simply. He said, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. What was James telling us? Well, he's telling us the same thing Paul said when he famously wrote, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. For by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Wherefore death passed upon all men, because all have sinned. It's important at this time, and I always do this, anytime I preach about this, I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every time you get sick, it means that you've sinned and God is punishing you. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there would be no sickness, there would be no suffering, there would be no sorrow, there would be no death if it weren't for sin. This is all the part of the curse that came upon humanity as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so the very fact that these two ladies are sick 
Jairus' daughter, 12 years old. This woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. The very fact that both of them are sick is a tribute to the effects of sin. So the story is not just about how that Jesus brought healing to one and brought resurrection life to the other. But it's a story about how Jesus dealt with sin and, yes, with death, the effects of sin, both spiritual and physical in the lives of both of these women. And so we begin in the telling of this story, intertwined as it is, and although many sermons have been preached that considered them separately, we need to understand that Matthew, Mark, of course, and Luke all tell these stories together because they are together. And thus we'll see them today. We see it by noticing their desperate faith. That begins back in verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. This is Jairus' story. Again, we don't know what was wrong with this little girl or how long she had been sick with whatever it was. What we do know is that when Jairus left to go get Jesus, she was at the point of death. And you and I know because we have said in that place where Jairus was that you, you don't leave somebody that you love at the point of death. But Jairus did. In fact, when Jairus arrived and was telling this to Jesus, Jesus knew and Jairus almost certainly knew that the little girl was already dead. And we're told that Jairus was one of the rulers of the synagogue at Capernaum. The details of the story, specifically that he lived in a house that had more than one room. Most of the common people lived in a one-room house with a roof. Uh, so the fact that he had a house with multiple rooms, then it would indicate that he was an affluent man. He was a ruler of the synagogue. That did not mean that he was a, a rabbi. It meant that he was in a, per, a person who was in a position of responsibility and authority, much like a committee member would be in our church. Some churches have elders today and others uh, who help with the leadership. He was in a leadership role in the synagogue and was a very prominent and affluent man. But in spite of all of his success, in spite of all of his service, they had only had one child, and now the child was dead. Jairus had only interacted with Jesus for a moment when the messengers came from his house telling him, she's gone, she's gone. Nothing more to do here. Long before Jairus then got to Jesus, this message had gone out, and it's very possible that in his heart Jairus knew, knew she was gone. Matthew's account makes that clear. Matthew 9, 18 says, While he spoke these things to him, that's Jesus. Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, that's Jairus, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her and she will live. We don't see a contradiction in these two things. No doubt Jairus said both of them. 
my daughter is sick. She's at the point of death. And uh, he would also say, my daughter's dead. He said both of them. Matthew records one. Mark records the other. But no doubt he said them both. You see, Jairus came. And he certainly, almost certainly knew by the time that he got there that his daughter was gone. Jesus responds, the end of this desperate request, please come with me. And he goes with him. The crowd that had met Jesus was thronging around him. That is, they were pressing in around him. Jairus knew, you see, what the Pharisees said about Jesus. He knew, as a ruler of the synagogue, that by coming to Jesus, it was almost a certainty that he would lose his position And in fact, he'd be removed from the synagogue. But at this moment, he didn't care what anybody else thought. He didn't care about what happened to him. He wasn't thinking about what somebody else was going to say. All he could think about was getting to Jesus and bowing down before him in an act of worship. You remember that the Jews bowed to no one but God. Though there were times when they bowed down to idols and false gods, God had broken them from that habit with the Babylonian captivity. That was demonstrated in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel and how they refused to bow down to worship the image that the king had set up. The king said, we're going to burn you. said, well, God is able to deliver us, but if not, they said, We still won't bow down and worship your image. Uh, For this man, the ruler of the synagogue, to come and bow down before Jesus was a matter of incredible significance. It was every bit as significant as those, and and even more so than those thousands of demons inhabiting that man's body that we saw cast themselves down in an act of worship before Jesus Meanwhile, then, the woman was coming to Jesus as well. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. As Jairus knew that his desperate act of faith in coming to Jesus was almost certainly going to cost him his position. And he was going to face scorn and ridicule and rejection because of what he did. But that didn't matter. So also this woman knew that going in this crowd of people was not possible for her in her condition. She knew that it was wrong. She shouldn't do it. She knew that she was going to touch a lot of people. I mean, imagine going to see the governor. Maybe you've seen that. Or going to see a president or or some visiting dignitary celebrity. Somebody that you wanted to press through the crowd to get to. And you know how you have to elbow your way through a crowd. Maybe you've never done that. I don't know. But uh, certainly you've seen it done. Here's this woman and the, the crowd pressing around Jesus. She knows that she's got to push her way through. She's not there to touch Jesus. She's already thought this out. She's going to touch just the tassel, the hem on his garment. Now, the Jewish law required the males to wear what we would call a shawl. It had four corners on it, and each corner had a tassel. 
and that tassel was called a zitzit. That's hard for me to say, and I probably didn't say it right. Uh, some of you Hebrew scholars can correct me after church. I'm kidding. We don't have any Hebrew scholars. Uh, it was called, I'll call it a tassel because that's what we call it. And uh, this is what uh, this woman had in mind to touch. I'll just touch the, the tassel on, on his garment. Not even clothes that's actually touching his body. Just a tassel. Two desperate people. Both then uh, risking public disgrace to get to Jesus. Jairus' desperation is obvious to us. His, his girl was dying or dead. The woman's desperation requires a little more telling because the Bible says she had spent all that she had, which means that not only was she desperate, she was also destitute. Jesus would heal two women that day, one dying and one already dead. We see then the actions of these two people in the story, Jairus, the little girl's father, and, and this woman prompting them to the same kind of desperate faith. And then secondly this morning, we'll see how that Jesus responded to their faith. Verse 29, when she touched Jesus, the Bible says immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, and you'll see that word a lot, Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? I mean, they were astonished. This was a crowd. Everybody was touching Jesus' clothes. Everybody was reaching out to him. People patting him on the back, saying, Yeah, I'll go. Let's go get this. People just wanted to get close to him. And, a lot of people, you see, were bumping into Jesus that day. And as far as we can tell in the Scripture, there is no indication whatsoever that any of those people who bumped into Jesus that day got anything out of it. No virtue left Jesus for all the people that bumped into Him. But it was only when that woman touched, not Him, touched the tassel of His garment that Jesus immediately perceived that power, virtue had gone out of him. Knew exactly what had happened. There's a lot of people in our world today who will bump into Jesus. Some of you might be doing it right now. You're in church. You're bumping into Jesus. You may hear a song on the radio, some religious song that has a, a really uh, meaning and, and it, it touches something in you. You bumped into Jesus. You might see something of a biblical nature or see some Christian book, that some title, something that gets your attention. Maybe somebody talks to you at work. Maybe somebody has prayer with you at some point in time. A lot of people will bump into Jesus. But listen, you don't get anything from Jesus just by bumping into Him. You only get something from Jesus when you believe on Him. This woman touched Him as an act of her belief. And immediately, Jesus stopped in His tracks. To acknowledge that touch of faith. Immediately the woman felt in her body that she had been healed. But there was much more than that going on. Verse 47 then when the woman saw 
as, as we're moving down, actually it's uh, verse uh, 32, I think. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Uh, you do notice, of course, that Jesus called her daughter. I hope you notice that because this is the only time in Scripture that in the New Testament that Jesus ever called anybody daughter. And the implication of him doing that for this woman in this setting should be rather obvious to us. Jairus had came to Jesus, come and heal my daughter. But on the way, Jesus stopped to deal with another lady who was now his daughter. You know, we rejoice in the fact that in John chapter 1 and verse 12 and many, many other passages of Scripture, uh, we have something like this. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But you know, here in this story of Jairus and his daughter and the woman who was healed of her issue of blood, we find out that you can become a daughter of God too. And it's right here in Scripture. You see, she wasn't just healed of her affliction, although she was healed of her affliction. She was whole. The Bible said she fell down at His feet. There again is that act of worship so significant. She bowed down before Him. And she bowed there trembling. She was no doubt full of the same fear that we had saw just a day before in the disciples when Jesus calmed the storm. And though they had been afraid of the storm, Mark says they were terrified at what Jesus had done. They were more scared of Jesus than they were of the storm. No doubt it was the same kind of fear that Simon Peter felt when he bowed before Jesus and said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It is a natural response that people have when they come into the presence of deity. This woman knew there was only one explanation for what had happened to her. She was in the presence of the Son of God. Nothing else could be said. And she fell before Him on her knees, trembling. And that's when Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Be of good comfort. Don't be afraid. Go in peace. Can't help but think of the ten lepers that Jesus healed. Nine of them went away healed, but they didn't go away whole. Nine of them didn't even bother to come back and say thank you. Only one did. We think of the multitudes of people that ate the fish and the bread not far from where the same scene was playing out. There were multitudes who ate his bread and ate his fish, who saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, who turned away. We only can imagine how many of them were actually healed because Jesus healed so many people, whole villages just all around there, emptied out their sick and their demon-possessed. You have to wonder 
even if some of them maybe didn't believe. What we do know is that these people in Capernaum saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And Jesus would weep over this town in their judgment because they rejected him. But this woman didn't reject him. We know that because she's at his feet. Jairus didn't reject him either because he was at his feet too. They came and bowed before him in worship, despising the shame, not caring about how that it was going to leave them an outcast, not, not a bit. They came as an expression of their desperate faith. Jesus has now healed this woman and he has called her then to make that confession and she has made that confession. And while he was still speaking then, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, uh, the brother of James. Peter, James, and John, that's a trilogy that we're going to see again and again and again. Now remember, there's a crowd that's following Jesus, and, and, and he stops to deal with this woman. And, and while that's happening, then comes the message, probably what they had already known. And, and yet this is somebody who's coming to them. Listen, there's no reason for you to trouble him. Why are you keeping uh, troubling Jesus? You know she's dead. Well... Jesus put everybody away. <laughs> Too many unbelievers in that crowd. And when they arrived at Jairus' house, Jesus and Jairus, and Peter and James and John, the funeral had already begun. Now, a Jewish funeral was a very a quick thing. When somebody died, they tried to bury them that day for obvious reasons. A Jewish funeral then required that there be a lot of loud crying and wailing. And uh, the more wealthy a person was, the more wailers they could hire. There were people who made a good living being professional criers. Uh, the next time you think about how you don't like your job, how would you like to be a professional mourner? Uh, that's what they did. So they've already had time. You see, the funeral is going on. They've already had time to bring in the mourners. They had brought in uh, the people who played musical instruments. Very, very sad, sorrowful sound. Uh, you see, we try to keep a funeral very quiet, but the Jews, they, they wanted it real loud, crying and wailing and, and playing music. All of that had already begun. That tells us that the little girl has already been prepared for burial. They've already got her ready and the funeral is about to proceed. Jesus interrupts the funeral. <laughs> he goes in and he tells them, Hey, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They ridiculed him. It might seem a very insensitive thing to say. After all, if this girl was just taking a nap, uh, all that commotion would have already woke her up. Besides, these people knew dead when they saw it. So Jesus put them all outside, and he took the father and mother of the child. So now they're going into the room where the body was. There's Jesus. There's Jairus, Mrs. Jairus, Peter, James, and John. 
everybody else he put out. And he entered where the child was lying, and he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha Kumi, that's Aramaic, the language of the common people. But Mark translated it for us. What it means is, little girl, I say to you, arise. Get up, little girl. Jesus broke up the funeral. And he tells them that she's only asleep. And this was something that Jesus did a lot and it, uh, he used sleep as a euphemism for death. And the reason is because, of course, death is only a temporary state for those who are believers in Christ. The Bible tells us very clearly that to be absent from the body, when our eyes close in death, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the body goes into that. It's the body that dies. But... Jesus called it sleeping, and the disciples, his apostles, followed that pattern. You see it over and over again in the epistles. Here's one example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You see, death for a believer is just a temporary state. For some it may last a few thousand years. But for some, it might only last for a few moments. Some even an instant. Because you see, one day the Bible says that there's going to be a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Have you ever thought about what you want to be doing when the rapture happens? I have. I want to be preaching a funeral. I do. I mean, there's going to be an instant. Just It's going to happen pretty quick. But the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Jesus has broke up funerals before. I want to be that guy. I don't mind if he breaks up my funeral. I'd, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> the dead in Christ will rise first. They're going up first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This situation that Jesus was encountering with this little girl was just a temporary thing. She's, she's just asleep. So Jesus took her by the hand and told her to get up. And immediately, there's that word again, verse 40. Immediately the girl arose and walked. For she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And said that something should be given her to eat. As soon as Jesus told her to... Get up, she bounced up and started walking around. Now we know what a miracle that was because we're so familiar with the physiological responses of what happens to a person when they die. I promise you today, if you've ever been around somebody who recently died, you remember it. You remember it. And you know what happens. Uh, you know that breath leaves their body. You know that very quickly their body grows cold. See their fingers turning blue, their lips, extremities, their feet. 
The body begins to stiffen very quickly. Even if a person just had a coma, we know that they're going to have to have therapy. I mean, it may take weeks, months. They may never get over it to get back up to where they were and to regain their mobility. And so this makes it just amazing that Mark says immediately, this girl was dead and Jesus not only healed her for whatever disease was wrong, whatever was wrong with her, but he cured her from being dead. She wasn't dead anymore. She's up bouncing around. And just in case that there were some superstitious people around, they would. I mean, you think about it. You've seen somebody dead, and then you see them. What are you going to think it is? You'll think it's a ghost. You know, the Jews believe that the Spirit hung around the body for three days. That's why Jesus waited four days, I think, for Lazarus to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And, and, and so somebody sees this little girl up walking around and said, Man, I've seen her. You can see them running around, and they'd spread that everywhere. I saw her ghost. Well, it's not a ghost. <laughs> How did they know it? Jesus said, give her something to eat. Ghosts don't eat, apparently. <laughs> it not only healed her illness, but he had healed whatever's wrong with her digestive tract, too. She's up walking, moving around, eating. Everybody was astonished. She also Jesus also told those people who were there with him, Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, and Mrs. Jairus, he said, now don't tell anybody what all you saw. Why would he say that? <laughs> Remember, Jesus took her by the hand. That was a no-no. Uh, you don't touch a dead body. Uh, not being a rabbi, not, not uh, you can't, you no, know, you don't do that. You remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees made a big deal about the fact that Jesus spat on the ground and made clay on the Sabbath day and put it in a, in a blind man's eyes. I mean, they, they, they had all kinds of, well, this man can't be of God. Well, that's not, he didn't do that right. Well, he's a lawbreaker. You can't be a lawmaker. He must be healing people by the power of the devil. Can you imagine what they would have done if they'd have heard that, that day that Jesus had touched that dead body? Well, they'd have had a cow. I'll tell you what they'd have done. They'd have, they'd, have, they'd have pitched such a fit that nobody would have even paid. They'd have forgot all about that girl because they'd have been arguing. That's all they would have seen. He touched a dead body. He can't be of God. Jesus said, just keep that, just keep this quiet. I didn't say quiet forever. Obviously, it's written down in Scripture and over time. But at least that day, they got to see that an incredible miracle had happened. And they didn't have anything to fuss about for a while. And that's the story. The story of two people who came to Jesus as an act of desperate faith, Jairus on the behalf of his daughter, the woman who had an issue of blood. Two stories intertwined on this day, 12 years in the making. Two daughters were healed and made whole. Jesus would raise three people back to life during his earthly ministry. He broke up two funerals, this one. But you'll also remember he went to the city of Nain. And there was a widow woman there who only had one son. And, and the man had died and they were carrying him out to bury him. And, and Jesus raised him back to life. He, he broke up two funerals, raising people back to life. 
He skipped the third funeral. That was Lazarus's. We have no idea how many hundreds of people, how many thousands of people died while Jesus was on the earth. We have no people, no idea how many thousands, how many hundreds might have died in this very city. Jesus didn't do anything about that. But these three occasions certainly stand out. Of course, there was one more that Jesus rose from the dead. Him. These three are eclipsed in our minds, or should be, by the time that is to come. When he is going to raise untold millions back to life. The story then tells us a couple of incredible things. We can identify with Jairus and his concern for his daughter dying and dead. But Jesus demonstrated in this text that he has the same concern for his daughters and his sons. Jesus couldn't be hurried. That's another great thing for us to notice. But he could be stopped in his tracks by the touch of faith. And astonishingly, the story is told in such a way as to indicate that the healing of this woman took precedence even over the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. After all, his daughter was already dead. Jesus knew that. Jairus certainly knew that. There was no reason to hurry. Jesus knew that. I wonder how many times we are found calling out to God, wishing that he would hurry, but we can't make him hurry. I want to tell you this morning, our God is never late. He's seldom early. He's always right on time. Can't hurry him. You can stop him in his tracks as he stopped to deal with this woman and make sure that she gave her testimony of faith and deliverance and made sure she told it to everyone so that all could hear it. Your faith has made you whole. Jesus, you see, had healed her, but Jesus also saved her. You see, there's, there's a, a message in here for us to get. In our world... Everything stops for death and dying. You have a loved one who passes away, you get time off. You stop whatever you're doing when someone you care about is dying. I do the same. Death and dying takes precedence over almost everything. But that day when Jesus dealt with these two ladies... One dying, one already dead. He stopped for that touch of faith. That eternal decision this woman was making. I mean, he had, he had all kinds of time to take care of Jairus' daughter. But he stopped to hear her testimony of faith. 
You see, Jesus will stop for you too. Though He is the creator of all things, though He upholds and sustains all things by the word of His power, though He has the whole world in His hands, though He knows the number of the hairs on the heads of seven or eight billion people on this planet, He'll stop and listen to you when you cry out to Him in faith. It's amazing when you think about it. Behold what manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us, John told us, that we should be called the children of God. I hope today that you're a child of God. If you are, it's because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You received Him as your Savior. You understood that He was the Son of God and you confessed Him. So that the Bible tells us that if we believe with our hearts in the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And if we confess with our mouth, we make that confession then that He is Lord. You will be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What a glorious demonstration we have of that. In this text today, if you're not a child of God, I plead with you today. You can become one. God has made you. God has given you life. But yet your sin has separated you from God. But God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself by the death of the cross. So that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Won't you receive him today? Let's stand together, please.